0: Coming up on Art Palace. Looking at some work that I maybe have seen before and hadn't paid that much attention to or analyzed, and then I'm looking at it and I suddenly, I become interested in it. You know, I'm 38 and I become interested in a painting that I've seen many times but never paid attention to, and I love that.
1: Welcome to Art Palace, produced by Cincinnati Art Museum. This is your host, Russell Eyrig. Here at the Art Palace, we meet cool people and then talk to them about art. Today's cool person is artist Matt Kors, exhibitions coordinator and adjunct professor at the Art Academy of Cincinnati. So I started um, watching Aloha State the other day. Oh, really? Terrace House, Aloha State. I should say. Excellent. Um, so far I've I've liked the, the differences in Aloha State. Like I like that it has a, a, its own kind of identity, at least in the first bit. I've I've enjoyed it. I don't know. It is different because yeah. the, the people are younger. I've noticed. Right. I feel like, and that can be both annoying in some of them, <laughs> the yeah, case, and in some of them adorable. Right, right. So
0: yeah, my wife and I have a mix. So my wife is uh, a Japanese, and um, we have kind of a mixed reaction yeah. to the to season two Aloha State, as it's known. Yes. Um, I feel like, and I think she kind of feels this way too, that they are pandering to the popularity in the United States of the first series. Oh, I
1: totally. Think and so.
0: by moving it to, to Hawaii so that to try to get you know, yeah. more Americans interested in, in the show. And also there's been so much English spoken on season on, on, Aloha state. It's like they're most of the cast members, I mean, at least half of them seem like they were fluent in English or,
1: or they spoke, you know, pretty good English but i like also there's a scene between um avian and naomi <laughs> Where they're like making a phone call and she's trying to, Avian is trying to help her get a job. Oh yeah, I
0: know exactly what you're talking about. She's like
1: literally like Cyrano whispering things in her ear. (laughs) right. It's so good. And I love that. Like I love that stuff where they're like helping each other out with the language because at that point it becomes like a part of the show Um, and it doesn't feel just like as pandery to, to me, but I did totally have that same thought of like I bet this is a choice made largely due to the popularity the show has gained in the US. Well, we haven't even talked about the Art Academy once. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Which which you're you're sort of the ambassador I guess <laughs> today. Art Academy ambassador. Yeah. Like, um it's kind of weird cuz I was thinking about that how you, we were just talking about a little bit with Bruce about how you you didn't go to the Art Academy but you kind of always had this connection with the Place, you know and we were talking about your history with the museum right but um you know your brother went here and and a lot of your friends went here right. and so it was just kind of interesting that you found yourself working there yeah so
0: i went to i got a fine arts degree undergraduate degree from dap at university of cincinnati uh, but my younger brother who's three years younger than me uh, went to the uh, art academy uh And so I would, you know, come to the Art Academy a lot to help him screen print or just Mm -hmm. to do whatever or come see shows here. And I I guess that's how I met you and a lot of other people that came here.
1: Yeah, I should probably also say, like, um, Matt and I ran helped like Matt and his brother formed a gallery in their living room, basically, (laughs) like when they in their apartment space Um, and then brought in other artists, including me, to help kind of manage the space and come up with ideas and run. So I was kind of a part of that. So if we, if we sound very familiar with each other, that's yeah. why, or we just sort of drop uh random tidbits uh, about each other. Yeah. Just very casually. That's why we've probably known
0: each other for what, like 15 years. I graduated from DAP in
1: 2002. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, graduated, uh, probably, yeah, probably close to that. Cause I graduated in 2003 okay and that's probably right around the time I got involved with publica. Right. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I had this like shocking, re- actually just this morning I had this scary realization that if a, ch- if there was a baby born when I started college, <sighs> they are now in college. Right. I And that's less of a, like, I can't believe I'm so old, but just more of like a man, time is weird. Like, like it does not feel like that at all. Like that doesn't feel right. Like that does not feel right. I, I'm very aware of how old I am. Like, I don't like that's doesn't bother me, but I'm just like, that doesn't add up. Like, yeah. (laughs) Like the math doesn't seem right. Right. Yeah. A
0: couple, a couple years ago, I, when I sort of started, I don't adjuncting, uh, art courses at different colleges, um, I started, I was teaching a couple of foundations classes at Miami University in the art department there. And I think I was like 35 or 36 at the time. And then I realized that, yeah, like the student, like the students that I was teaching, the freshman students I was teaching were... 18 years old and it was like it had been almost 18 years since I had you know been in their shoes and it was just a weird like it
1: doesn't that do I don't think there's that much of a. in my mind there isn't that big of a separation yeah and that's what's so strange oh yeah definitely but I can remember also being in their age and I was very aware of that separation of age Right. Like the, if, the,
0: you thought that the your instructors were way older, right? There. Yeah, exactly. Right. I was just yeah.
1: having this conversation with
0: somebody the other day. And I was like, it's kind of weird to have all these like, I don't feel that separated. It doesn't feel to me like that much time has passed. And I don't feel that separated. And I, you know, I've walked through this school a million times here yeah. at, at, in at UC or at the Art Academy or something like that. Um, but I get the distinct impression that all, that this entire classroom of students think that I'm really old or something, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally.
1: Yeah. Well, I was just thinking about that, uh, because I, I, you know, bring in guest artists for programs, and sometimes I'm working with, you know, an art academy student, Mm -hmm. and so I've worked with a few who just, I know, just graduated this year, Mm -hmm. and so when I kind of did that math and was like, oh, whoa, like they were born right when I was going into college. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like that I had never put, I just really did. And in my mind, like, yeah, we are closer to peers in that sense. And I think of it that way. But I remember being that age and I never thought of it that way. Right. Yeah. I don't think I did either. Yeah. Yeah. I I, That's one of those things where I, I I can't like, I, I even feel the same way when I'm around teenagers sometimes. Like I don't think of it as this huge separation. And then I realize that that is how you become the person who's like, like flips around the chair and just like, Hey guys, let's just rap about life. You know, like that's how you become right. the super uncool adult is yeah. when you don't realize you're an adult. Uh, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no, it's happening. It's yeah. happening to me. That's how you become the the mom from like mean girls. So right. it's Amy Polar place who's so right. just like, Oh you girls keep me young, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> just like I look, I don't think of myself as a mom, I'm more of a friend, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's how it happens. Like I, I anytime I'm around a teenager, I like realize like oh no, like I am so in danger of going into that zone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm on the I'm on the precipice so make a joke or something that i think like yeah we're all like about this we're all we're all cool here yeah and then they just look at you like what are you talking about all of your references are really old and i don't understand any of them
0: yeah i know i've had i've had so many eyes rolled at me in (laughs) classrooms (laughs) in the last few years uh can be be tough to break through the that perceived wall of uh (laughs) of age difference
1: uh yeah but um so then you so you were adjuncting for is that a word adjuncting do people say that i think
0: only adjuncts say Say that
1: (laughs) yeah i just said it but i was like i I don't know like you were teaching like it's probably a better word than adjuncting
0: yeah so basically essentially i'm a i'm a professor of art who is not tenured anywhere and, there, and therefore <laughs> is not is not is not owed any uh, benefits. Right, um, right. so yeah, I've uh I've taught some classes. I taught a, just a few classes at um or a couple classes at Miami University several years ago and then I taught off and on um different courses in the fine arts department at University of Cincinnati and DAP and uh then since actually it's been just about a year I have, I've, I have became the uh, exhibitions coordinator at the art Academy.
1: Right. Uh,
0: so that means I'm responsible for kind of like the go between, uh, between the exhibitions committee there that sets a lot of the show programming and, and the artists and, and all, and the installation that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. So I, do a lot of installing these shows with help from different people, and I lately I've uh, also been doing a lot of the sending out the press releases and getting the okay. word out about the show. But I'll also be uh, teaching a class there. Actually, it starts tomorrow. Oh. Classes start today. My class starts tomorrow. Um, so I will. I uh, can now say that I'm also adjuncting <laughs> at the Art Academy of Cincinnati.
1: So. What's uh, what are you teaching?
0: So this semester, I've taught a variety of things in the past, from foundations, 2D art classes, to senior seminar. I taught advanced painting once. Mm -hmm. Um, But this semester at the Art Academy, I'll be teaching this class called Exhibition Studio.
1: That's what I was wondering if you were doing something uh, that connected with your day job there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So um, it's basically a course that's like a... A, a studio critique course crossed with a kind of hands-on pop-up exhibition class. So okay. so I set up uh, four different sort of small pop-up art shows that the students will present throughout the semester. Um, and then during the semester, they'll make artwork and we'll sort of talk about, you know, we'll have normal sort of critiques about the body of work that they're making. Um, but then we'll also figure out how to curate it into a small pop-up exhibition Mm -hmm. at a gallery you know several times and we'll um, they'll learn about writing uh, artist statements and resumes and things like that so that they can sort of get a feel for you know what it's like to collaborate on an exhibition so we have a show coming up at uh, wave pool we have one at exposure 13 which is a uh, a sm- small space that is run by the Art Academy. It was sort of donated to the Art Academy. It's not in the building, though. It's outside on, on 13th Street. Oh, okay. Um, and the, the Art Academy is allowed to use it for exhibitions. Uh, we'll have one at Peak Gallery in Covington. And then the final one is in the black box theater space oh, at, at the, the CAC. CAC. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's they, basically...
1: The has last. the Academy done stuff in the black box space before? So, or?
0: Yeah, so this... This class has been offered before. Okay, I don't know how many times, but it, the last time it was offered was a, maybe a year or a year and a half ago, and I'm pretty much show. I set up all the same shows that happened for that that last time. So, this class has done a show in the CAC Black Box
1: before. That, I think I just happened to be visiting one day when okay. I think I walked into that. Oh, really? Show. Okay. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I was like, I think I've seen this, but like when you were mentioning the Black Box, I remember ha- how. I, going in there and seeing stuff down in that space yeah
0: yeah so um yeah i don't know this is my first time teaching it but um seems like it's going to be fun and should be interesting to put it like they're all sort of i mean most of the shows with the exception of the one at exposure 13 which will that that one can stay up for a month because i can actually you know it's the school's space to use basically um so i can just sort of we can have a longer run there, but all the other shows are mostly like one or two nights. Yeah. The students install the work. We kind of have a reception and then we'll take them down, uh, you know, a day or so
1: later. So you also (laughs) last, since you've done this for a year now, you also get to be the, um, kind of responsible party for like when the students actually have to put on their own shows too. Oh yes. So (laughs) senior shows. So when, um, Every, oh gosh, I guess it starts
0: at like, it starts right after spring break, which I guess is sort of the end of March or something like yeah. that. And um, yeah, so the the graduating seniors essentially have thesis shows uh, and that runs for, I mean last year it went for about six weeks and every week there's a different group of graduating seniors who present their work right. for their thesis and then it turns over on Saturday and Sunday and then the new show has to be up with the next group of seniors uh for the next week. So they use the school galleries for that. There are three galleries mm-hmm. in inside the art academy building and um it's it's great. It's like a super busy time with like this huge new turnover of artwork every week in the in the space. But yeah, one of my responsibilities as exhibition coordinators basically to make sure that the galleries uh, you know sort of help the students if they if they need to install and deinstall anything but also make sure that the galleries get taken care of and get patched and every all everything gets taken down and the holes in the walls get fixed and all of that stuff
1: so yeah that's that's one that's one other thing and art academy students are probably not known for their uh (laughs) I don't know, sensibilities in this department. I'm saying this as a grad. I'm saying this as knowing, just like watching how many like just crazy banana (laughs) stuff people got away with. Like this place is it's so hard like when I try to like talk about my college experience with people sometimes because I'm just like, yeah, it is like imagine like going to a place where there is no sort of avant-garde in a way because the avant-garde is the institution right right like you can't like you can't there was nothing shocking right like and that that's sort of how i think about it so just like it literally is like anything goes when it comes to this sort of stuff where you're just like oh well yeah sure and you just get into this mode where like somebody's trying to do something totally crazy and you're just like oh yeah okay yeah i mean it (laughs) <laughs> it varies from from student to student
0: of course you know like any like sure. any school like there are, there are
1: painting students who are just gonna like yeah there are some students
0: who some nails right or who are, or, or who are super um you know careful about making sure they do everything clean up and right. stuff like that but yeah like any school there there are some student there are some instances where i have to come in and say like well hey 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 don't you know <laughs> stop don't, don't don't put that paint on you know don't put oil paint on the wall or stop writing on the wall with this whatever you know right right um or you know can can you come please come take the, take away your artwork now <laughs> you know it's still here <laughs> it's over um yeah so there's de- there are there're there are differences uh between students that way
1: right well, actually now that i'm thinking about it too your brother for his senior show, I believe, built a false drop ceiling. He did. That like connected with the gal this is the old space that yeah. is actually weirdly in the building was in the building we are recording this right. in now. Yeah. But just right below us almost. Um so yeah, I mean those are the kind of things I'm kind of thinking of like all the weird stuff that people would do. But like yeah, Paul built This drop ceiling because the Chidlaw Gallery then had this like pretty horrible drop. (laughs) Yeah, with the inserted like square corky kind of fiberboard panels. Yeah, just like like an office. Yeah, and and so he made one that just like dropped down, almost like the reverse of the CAC. I think that
0: was the idea, as he was kind of flipping what happens with the what do they call it, like the the urban urban carpet. carpet. Yes, Yes, the urban carpet at the CAC. Yeah, it was like the reverse of that. He built he sort of like extended the the framework of the drop ceiling and so that it curved downward yeah and came down the wall to the fl- and met the floor. Right. And then he sort of inserted all of he I think he he might have even uh went and found the same fiberboard tiles so that oh, yeah. it matched it and so, matched so the drop yeah. ceiling sort of just like continued down the wall into yeah. the floor. Yeah. And I love that kind of stuff. I mean it's definitely kind of a handful sometimes because there are a lot of students and you know I, if if all of them at once want to alter the ceiling or the floor <laughs> i'm like there's not enough hours in the day to sort of keep track of it all right. um but those a lot of times those installations wind up being the most memorable or those kind yes. of crazy unexpected things in the gallery wind up being the most interesting and memorable things that happened
1: yeah they still uh, the main the main gallery there is still called the chidlaw gallery isn't it or it didn't no change? so
0: the large gallery which is kind of reserved for like uh rotating i don't know what you'd call them sort of like visiting exhibitions okay. or, or visiting artists or um I don't know, people who have been invited by the exhibitions right. committee to show. That's called the Pearlman Gallery.
1: Oh, that's right.
0: And then we have in the lobby sort of connecting, adjoining the lobby is an open space that's yes. a little bit smaller. That's called the Converges mm-hmm. Gallery. And then we still have a Chidlaw Gallery, but it's a it's a smaller gallery that's downstairs from the lobby. And it's it's used for several different things, but it's mostly reserved for um, student shows. Yeah. So students during the year can uh, propose to have shows there and they'll actually be scheduled to have like a, a month long show. In okay. There. Or, or I mean, they might not always be a month, but they'll be scheduled to have shows there.
1: Yeah. I've seen, seen shows in that space. I yeah. yeah. I didn't quite realize the name. I had heard the Pearlman gallery, but I didn't quite make all the connections of what's called what now. Right. Right. Um, Well, I kind of thought we could go look at some art that has some connections to the Academy's past, actually. All right. So I have a few ideas, so we'll figure that out. (laughs) (laughs) and uh, When we come back, we'll actually be looking at something. All right, let's do it. We are now in gallery 119 in the Cincinnati wing and we're looking at a painting. That's one of my favorites in the, in the collection. And it is one though. I imagine a lot of people probably would walk right on by. Right. I'm just, I actually have talked several times on this show about like, my my assumptions about like visitors interests (laughs) right right, so maybe maybe i should stop stereotyping the visitors (laughs) so much but i just i i could imagine this is like not one that's going to grab a lot of people's attention so it is called landscape near t.s noble's house on kemper lane I'm guessing that is not the title he gave it because it would be very to call it that. I'm, I'm <laughs> right. assuming that was a title attributed right. much later. He's
0: spoken the third person a lot, I <laughs> <out> hear. <here. laughs>
1: and this is by T.S. Noble, also known as Thomas Satterwhite Noble. Um, and the reason I chose this piece, um, and actually we have another piece by him in the gallery we can kind of mention a little bit later, uh, is because he was the first director of the Art Academy Actually he was the first director of of the McMicken School of Design, right, which later split from the UC and mm-hmm. became the Art Academy. So he was he was with both institutions, I guess, or the same institution. Um, but he was there right when the academy became its own thing and actually joined the Museum Association. Um and when they, you know, moved here to our building. So he was actually, I was telling you a little bit about this. He uh, was actually a Confederate soldier. He was born in Lexington. Right. And, but then later, uh, like, sort of was very ashamed of slavery. He actually grew up in a, his family owned slaves. He was from Lexington, Kentucky. Okay. And he felt it was really pretty terrible. And so he made these series of paintings that actually is what he became more known for, which were you know, historical paintings that were all about the horrors of slavery. So he had one that I think is called, like, The Slave Market, and he had one that became um, really popular, uh, or, is, you know, I've seen and published in books a lot called The Price of Blood. Okay. And it's, it's uh shows, like, a, a slave being bought, this sort of, like, small transaction, and there's kind of this, I don't know, almost what I would think of as, like, a real... Fat cat in the front, you know, this guy in this beautiful coat. um, And then this, I'm a little unclear of who's selling, of you know, which direction the transaction's going, but you can basically see this man being sold who is of mixed race. And you can kind of assume he is probably the son of the man who was selling him.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. So it's like kind of pretty heavy. Yeah, sure.
1: And, and so, you know, he, he was making this very like powerful statement showing this, like, you know, thing we know obviously was going on all the time. Um, but basically that's why it's called the price of blood because it's like his blood relation that he's selling. Um, uh, so, so he became pretty well known for a lot of those works Um, And actually, so the other piece I mentioned on the wall, we have the study of a head um, that's kind of on the opposite side of the gallery, which is very traditional and much more in line with those historical works. And probably he made that a little bit before he would have made those more famous paintings. So they, they kind of you can see, you know, that's where he came from. But then the painting we're looking at, this landscape is just this Field of green? Yeah, it's
0: it's really um it's kind of like a pile of mush most of it. Like yeah. I don't mean I don't mean that in a bad way. It's kind of like remarkable. I mean if it's painted circa eighteen ninety, like it's so low contrast. Yeah. Like there it, it's like a it looks like it could be a field like a just a field um with some trees in the background, but they're there are Pretty much entirely relegated to the top what like fifth of oh, the yeah. of the of if the canvas that, yeah. there's just a very small indication that, like a strip across the top of the painting with trees and most of the like the entire center of this image is just this kind of swirly low contrast mass of brown and green like it's, right, it's like pretty it's unusual
1: void almost of um it's almost like a proto color field painting when you first yeah yeah and, and actually, one of my favorite things too about it is as a landscape, something that's so unusual is that the only hint of a sky you get in right. this, are these this tiny little brush of light up yeah. in the top that seems to be coming through the trees. But that's the other thing is that it is like so disorienting because, you know, we, we can't tell where the sky starts and right. that creates this like, I think that in turn makes that division where we go from like the horizon line which is incredibly high right to like the tree line i feel like that would feel more defined if we saw the tops of those trees and you would understand like okay those are trees this is the sky and then here's the ground but instead the ground and the trees just become part of the same almost
0: yeah definitely i think that what you're saying about the light coming through the trees is really interesting too because that makes me think that like maybe this is like a twilight painting, or maybe this represents like a low light time, you know, and I'm, I'm just seeing this little bit of like, I'm in this dark space and I'm seeing this little bit of light peeking through the trees, um, which, you know, would, uh, would make sense when you see the whole, you know, the whole foreground being so low contrast. And I mean, the whole painting is generally dark. Yeah. Right. Um, but, but you don't, it doesn't make a lot of logical sense unless you think like oh maybe maybe I'm in a darker place and there's a little bit of light peeking through, and you only get that sense from that little those little right. dots at the top,
1: yeah, I think you're right to to think it it maybe is is kind of approaching dusk or something right because of the the very like we are saying very low contrast, so we don't really have a lot we don't see any shadows, yeah. from the the sort of few distinguishable plants here where this kind of... But that's the other thing I love is it just looks like weeds and stuff. Like the, yeah. It, you know, it looks so just like wild. Like there's just like this weed growing up here, but it doesn't really cast a ton of shadow that makes you feel like... It certainly doesn't look like high noon or anything right. in this space where it's very... Uh, I feel like there would be a lot more definition of what we are seeing here. Right.
0: Well, when we first walked up to it also, um I mean, I couldn't tell at first if I was looking at like a a muddy patch of grass, or yeah. if I was looking into like a pool, like you know, right. along the edge of a stream, like maybe this is a riverbank and that's actually swirling weeds in water or something, because it's so undefined. Right. Yeah.
1: I can't tell either. I still like I've looked at it a few times and I've I've heard that theory as well that it is like a pool almost because you do kind of have this like little edge here right. at the top, that you could almost interpret as the edge of like a, it's like puddle a stream or, or, yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of have, you know, you could almost read these as reflections of the same plants right there. Actually, which could yeah. Over, I could see that. And then almost you have like that little stream and then like this sort of muddier bank in front of it, maybe makes sense.
0: Yeah. Actually, it does. Now that you say that this kind of darker line here across the upper, you know, the upper. Third, you know, below the upper third yeah. of the painting, yeah. that actually kind of does look like it could almost be like a, the bank of a stream or something. And uh-huh. what you're saying about reflections, like those, those the kind of mossy green uh, stuff at the upper uh, right, it does almost look like that could be a reflection. Yeah, in the water.
1: when I when I uh, sort of flip my glasses up and look at it, even blurrier. Mm-hmm. This is kind of a weird thing that actually it reads even more as a reflection. Really, In blurred, like, like right away I can see like there like that part seems very clearly reflecting that like right. sort of brighter highlights um seem to obviously mirror themselves right but they don't necessarily with my glasses on
0: well then that could be a function of like the distance we're standing away too like i mean this i would probably i, I wasn't looking at this when we first walked into the gallery so i don't know what my reception would have been if i had first right. seen it from 30 25 feet away across the room you know maybe i would have immediately read it as a that's true as a stream bank or something like well that.
1: and that's a that's a good uh you know lesson i guess in in the something you probably are very aware of is like the effects of where a piece is hung yeah sure and how you read it yeah you know and i remember uh when we were deciding on where to hang things in in publico we would i i remember there was a lot about that sort of like almost how you would encounter a piece yeah like, sure thinking about like oh well this makes a really great first impression you come in here but then there's also these like physical constraints right like this piece you actually right now the way we have it installed and it's been in a couple different places in this room but right now you actually can't get very far back on it because there's this column kind of yeah keeping you from getting too far back so you do have to be in this sort of uh I mean, I feel like I can get back enough that I can get a good look on it. It's not like it's uncomfortable, but you, right. you don't ever get that really far across the room look that you might uh, if it was on the other side of the room.
0: Yeah, I mean, this makes... Like, I, I occasionally in, in classes that I've taught, especially in, like, foundations classes, like 2D design or uh, we I taught a class at UC called Surface Studio, which is essentially about composition and color theory. Um, I mean, sometimes I'll make students go down to the end of the hallway right. to view their work from a distance or I'll have, you know, we're having a critique and we're talking about this very thing and I'll mm-hmm. have somebody hold the work and take it down to the end of the hallway so everyone can see how the yeah. the view of it changes from a distance. And this totally, you know, if my students were here right now, I would make them all walk <laughs> over there to the corner and look at it from a distance.
1: Yeah. 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 It's true. Or even, yeah, it's, it's really weird. I mean, especially when you're working on your own art. I remember, you know, one of the things that I definitely need to do a lot of times is to look at stuff in mirrors.
0: Oh yeah, right.
1: That cr- that's upsetting sometimes because especially if you're working on like a face. Yeah, nothing will reveal your problems quicker than looking at it in a mirror. Yeah, and you'll be like oh no, oh I know it looks so strange. <laughs> you're like I messed this up. Yeah, bad. yeah. Like, that's usually when right. I'm like, why? How did that eye get so lopsided? Like, what, what was I thinking? This it right. has no volume. Like, yeah, that's a really strange
0: trick of the brain too. Like, yeah. why? I don't know. Like, the longer you're working on something, the more. I don't know, like myopic you get yeah you spend all this time like uh laboring on this small area of the thing, like you your brain turns off your ability to sort of pay proper attention to it at it some does. point,
1: yeah, to like kind of see the big picture and that yeah way. Like you're 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 so focused on the details at that point that you're missing the like right bigger problems
0: right, and actually like with us talking about this, like I'm just backing up a few steps and like. I'm like actually convinced now the further I get back from this the more I'm like convinced I'm looking at like a, a sort of a creek bed with a yeah. with a bit of water running past me yeah, and yeah, a yeah. hill on the opposite side right. and it's all in this kind of low light but Yeah it's when,
1: funny I'm 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 now coming around to that read of it too and I've been looking at this for 4 years Right <laughs> So it's like just now i yeah, I'm right. convinced <laughs> of it right. like I think I never interpreted it as that but I also like sometimes I would think well maybe it's like this weird layer of like fog or something too that was the other thing i would sometimes see it as
0: i mean it does seem like that like this is a painting about atmosphere right Right, to me like it's about the it's about dusk or like i'm in a i'm in an overgrown area under this under these trees and i can see light peeking through but i'm in a darker you know area and it's about capturing that atmosphere it's funny like when we walked up to it i didn't know what painting we were going to be talking about but so i approached it just from coming around a corner and really up close and so i didn't read any of that water stuff yeah. and the creek bed stuff we were talking about but then like when you're up close the brushwork is t- so so like strange and kind of fluid and just like oh, yeah. there are these little like thin washy brush marks uh, you know like of this thinned out oil paint and it's it's such a completely different read than i would have had if I just saw this from 25 feet away when I first yeah. walked into the room.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things I've also, um, I, when I was researching him in the past, I learned that w- when he left the art academy, he moved to New York and by the sea, and just basically painted seascapes oh really okay so i always think of this painting and this is me totally projecting this onto him that he basically was kind of miserable actually at the art (laughs) academy from what i can tell oh really he kind of hated it okay and um he had a lot of people not making his life easy okay Um, he was dealing with like maria longworth and duvenac and a lot of people who were not super friendly to him right and by all accounts he seemed like and granted i was reading this probably from a biography written by a person who really likes him so he certainly was painting ts noble in the like the kindest of terms but um he, yeah he just was like just so stressed out by this job and just really? so over it. So the minute he retired, he like goes to New York and like paints seascapes. Paints paint
0: seascapes. And right. so I
1: always imagine him sitting in his house in Cincinnati looking out the window, pretending this is the sea. Right. <laughs> this right. is the best right. I've got. Right. Because it almost feels like the seascape and the way it's like that super high horizon line and the colors. Well, and-
0: when you get up close, the brushwork is like, I mean, I you can you can picture someone painting like a moving, heaving seascape with the same type of brushwork, just this kind of very fluid, loose, like like small marks that are like really
1: articulated and active and then these big like sweeping marks. Like, you know, it does have that kind of feel. Yeah. I think I'm also so attracted to this painting because it feels like I love this moment of like trying to pinpoint when like modernism begins. Oh, yeah. And it's so hard because of course like, you know, you, you, you get really tied down to these ideas of like timelines and like, well, this starts here, this starts there, this is the, this time period. And like, you're never really sure because it's all the seeds were being planted long ago. Right. You know, you have people like Turner who are doing this before him already. So you already have somebody out there who's kind of going actually way further than this. Right. Um, but then, uh, you know, the way, this is, feels like the beginnings of of something like I called it a proto color field painting, and I feel like that's where we're headed in this with this like yeah sure and 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 just the expressiveness of the brush strokes and, and all
0: well, that. look how like like the all the like the more specific articulated representation is literally being pushed out of the frame yeah. it's like like the the indications of like you know more more clarity of trees at the top and of the weed at the side. Like they're literally being like pushed to the margins. Like they're about right. to leave the frame entirely. Like, it's almost like he looked at this and then he, he's like slowly panning down until eventually he, we're just going to have a big blob of like
1: indecipherable grass, you know, taking up the whole, the whole image. You know, I like that just reminded me of something else. Um, and we talked about this in, in the Van Gogh episode we did, but there was a Van Gogh painting in the the exhibition we had, that had a similar thing going on, where the things in the background, like further in the distance, had like more clarity. Right. Which is a, a sort of odd. Yeah, trick. sure. Like typically, you reverse this. Yeah, like,
0: it's it's the it's a it's like flipped depth of field. Yeah. yeah.
1: So it's like this weird thing where the things in the foreground, which typically have the most definition and clarity, here are the most like wishy washy, right, brushy, yeah. sh- stuff that typically is it's this total reverse of how a painting is normally made.
0: Yeah. Like he's totally foregrounding the most gestural aspects of, of making this painting. Right. Yeah. Literally.
1: Which makes you think like, well, that's what he was interested in. Yeah, absolutely. It is what is taking up the literal most amount of space on this canvas. Yeah.
0: I think that also just like how dark the painting is and how like low contrast it is, is just, I mean, it's part of that. It's like parallel to all of that. It's like, he's foregrounding, this very low contrast, low color range um, in this piece. Like it's it's not just about like the blurriness, but it's also like all fairly dark. It's all like very related uh,
1: greens and browns, like mm-hmm. all kind of smashed together, you know? Yeah. I think the other thing that I, I, I remember what excited me most about this painting Was that it? Also had this really direct musical connection for me, okay. Which was that I made a lot of connections with um, the overture to uh, Das Rheingold uh, by Wagner, which is like kind of often called like the first piece of drone music. Oh, really? You know, like because it's essentially one note. (laughs) I mean, there's there's more going on, but it is like it is it is um, very repetitive. Yeah. um, it's it's always building and building and building and adding more things. And, and so, but it kind of be, it's also a piece about water because it's supposed to be kind of representing. And I mean, some people feel it's like the almost the creation of the universe is like, okay, trying to show us in this way, but also um, it's, it's supposed to kind of culminate in this watery um, Rhine river where the opera begins. Right. So, that swirliness that we keep talking about, the brushstrokes always relates to it. So I kind of always hear the overture of Das Rheingold when I look at this piece as well.
0: Yeah. So who's the, so it's the famous painting. Is it the death of Ophelia? Ophelia floating down there. Yeah. yeah, uh, It's
1: a pre-Raphaelite painter. Yeah.
0: I forget, I forget which painter. Okay. We'll look at this up. I thought of that painting almost, even before we started, the odd thing is even before we we really started talking about this as like, you know us being convinced that this is a sort of stream flowing past or the edge of a you know pond or something like that i think that was one of the first things i thought of when i walked up to it and i think it's because hmm. of that like this kind of like knotted mass of weeds and grass yeah. and stuff. it made me think of that uh, of that uh painting right away
1: yeah it's a uh, john everett malaise Okay. Or Malay. I don't know. I mean, he's British, so I don't know if he he pronounces that S at the end. It looks right. like a very French to me. Right. So I want to say Miel, but uh, M I L A I S. But yeah,
0: yeah. I thought of that painting right away when the, we walked up. Yeah, place. the
1: palette is really similar. Yeah, too. definitely. But it is almost like you take that painting and you remove the figure. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> pretty know, much. Like, and then you put like a blur filter over it, and <laughs> right. you have this painting. Well, you mentioned yeah. you love the Twachtman uh, painting, Springtime. I do. It's That's one actually of my favorites. Couple, couple galleries behind us, uh, and he actually taught Twachtman. Okay. So you can kind of maybe see that the that to, at least towards the end, maybe you know that maybe this was an influence on on Twachtman. I'm sure there were plenty of other people Twachtman was studying with though, at the academy who could also be pushing him in this direction, but
0: yeah I think I can see that connection too, and you have it hanging here, sort of like almost like book leaves on and on on the other corner, opposing this uh noble painting is another tachtman painting, yeah bloody that, run, yeah, bloody run, which is sort of a i mean a snowy hillside with a really steely kind of gray sky, and these I think these are so great together because they really seem. to to largely be about creating an atmosphere you know and the same as that that other Twachtman painting you just mentioned springtime which i i love that painting i've always loved that painting yeah but like these paintings all seem to be about like how do i capture the sort of perfect atmospheric feel of this moment in
1: this particular landscape that i'm looking at right now in this weather you know that that kind of stuff i think also like i I can imagine Bloody Run would be about as equally unpopular with guests. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Just because it is so. It's dismal. And it's pretty somber. And like, yeah. oof, this is not given you a lot of good feelings like I mean I think it is doing exactly what it set out to do and you're like you're saying it captures this atmosphere so perfectly yeah but it is not the kind of like snowy wonderland I want to be in it's (laughs) like the actual reality Uh, of it yeah you know we have uh, again in in the same gallery that is the Twachtman painting we're uh, springtime we were discussing which I think is a much more likable painting yeah probably just because I mean People people tend to like color, so like you right. t- give them something that's like black and gray and brown, and they're just like, Ugh. but yeah, um, you know. So it's 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 got a like a lot of nice color into it, even though it's pretty subdued. It's not like right. over the top. But then in that same gallery, there's this painting uh, by Et Hurley uh, that's Garfield Park in the snow. And okay, it's like super impressionisty. You know, like. You can almost barely make it out, but it's kind of like the exact opposite of it is like the kind of like the magic of winter. And right, like yeah. Like everything's blue. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. and then this is just like, no, it's like uh, muddy and I, gross. Yeah,
0: this is like a winter painting like when you're sick of winter. Exactly. Yeah. This
1: is like that like last giant snow in February yeah. and you are just like, uh-uh. Like, right. yeah, it is not that like... <laughs> so uh, we had... a. Uh, battery failure <laughs> uh, our, <laughs> my recorder's battery died so we cut out so we're uh, if there's a pause there or a little weird uh gap that's why um but yeah we were talking about this uh twachman painting and how the you know it's just it looks like the worst of winter yeah. it is not the idyllic winter that you typically see painted so it's just i don't know i i there's something about both of these that I feel like, again, in my stereotyping of museum visitors. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Do you, do you do you have anything else to 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 say about it or anything? Um,
0: I forget. Well, we were talking about. I think we were like talking about the fact that he was that Noble was one of Twachman's teachers. Like,
1: yeah yeah he also taught um elizabeth nurse who whose paintings are all around us uh, right i think there's one uh, right behind us there who, okay who also actually this painting that's right behind us um is uh first communion and one of my favorite things about it um is the these white dresses and veils and but again like to look at all the different colors when you get up close to those right that white dress it's actually like filled with like pink, green yeah there's oh, yeah green and blue a lot of green and blue in it pinks and purples and it's like really really rich color um and it it's also very this kind of swirly atmospheric paint too right. that you can kind of see in this uh T.S. Noble painting, too. So you can kind of maybe see some possible influences there uh, around. Or, you know, again, even if it's not um, directly influenced by T.S. Noble, at least sort of like what was happening at the time in Cincinnati right. in, in painting. Because it's it's definitely, you can see all of that um, influence. And I'm sure even, you know, Duvenek's influence is to be felt in a lot of this. Even even though I know uh, Duvenek and... T.S. Noble didn't exactly get along super well. Right.
0: When did Noble retire from the Art Academy?
1: Mm, Do you know that? A good question that I don't know if I wrote down. Oh, yes, I did. He retired in 1904. Okay. Yeah.
0: So he, he only got three years of painting of living in New York and painting uh the seaside. Yeah. It looks like he, he died, died in nineteen oh seven.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um and actually, here I'm, I'm. This is this is the point in the podcast where Russell actually reads the labels. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I have read this label before. It's just been a while. Um, but I just saw something. I saw Duvenec's name mentioned, so I just yeah. Wanted to I check noticed out.
0: that too. It looked like it looks like this painting
1: was originally thought to be by Duvenec. Oh, that's yeah, right. I, I noticed that. that. That's so yeah. So that's really interesting that he would be yeah even credited with creating that duvenek just, I mean, he was not, I, I think, a generally super easygoing guy. Right. Like, that's <laughs> just his kind of reputation was that he he was, I I, I, ref, I remember reading something where he was referred to as, like, the acid-tongued Duvnick. Ah, uh, uh, yes. Ah, uh, the acid-tongued Duvenec. Acid-tongued. <laughs> so, yeah. He, did, he, he told it like it is. Duvnick <laughs> was not here to make friends. That's right. That's right. To, to bring it back to reality television. <laughs> he wasn't. He didn't come here to make friends. That's right. Yeah. We should, we should have a reality show uh, pinned around like 19th century painting. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any, any other last thoughts about uh, T.S. Noble?
0: Uh, not really. I mean, I do think like what you said about how easy it would be to walk past this painting and sort of not, not pay much attention to it. Uh, That really like, I'm thinking about that a lot right now because I've been to the art museum so many times. Like I grew up in Cincinnati. I came here a lot. I still come here a lot and I actually have never paid that much attention to this painting before i'm sure i've seen it many times
1: yeah it's been in this Um, room I, i think it might have come down for a little bit um but it it has been in here i would say at least out of the past four years i've been here probably three of the four years it has been on display right i'm gonna guess
0: but just thinking about that like this is now for me that just just the latest instance uh of me like becoming ever more aware that if you like, like paying attention to a work of art is just like endlessly fruitful. You know, it's like, if I look at some, like there is always something for me to look at and analyze. And then the more I analyze it, the more I see there. And this is just like the latest, I, I, I encounter this all the time. I'm constantly, you know, um, looking at some work that I maybe have seen before and hadn't paid that much attention to or analyzed. Mm-hmm. And then I, th- I'm looking at it and I suddenly I become interested in it. You know, I'm 38 and I become interested in a painting that I've right. seen many times but never paid attention to. And I love that. Oh, yeah. And so this is now like the latest instance of that for me, you know?
1: Yeah, I do that. I mean, constantly like I'll walk by something. I mean, the weirdest ones for me is like, you know, I work here. I walk through these <laughs> galleries constantly and I will literally see something. That I've never seen, but like, right, I'll, I'll like, never noticed. I'll ask the guard who's on duty, I'm like, is this new? Did they just hang this up? Right, and they'll look at me like, no, are you crazy? It's been <laughs> here, like, it's been, it's been here for like 15 years, probably. And you're right, like, oh, okay. So, and then suddenly you're like, oh, wow, look at that. That's really, that's I love this like little detail here. And you just start like, yeah, getting into this thing that you've walked by all these years. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah, and for me, it's funny because I remember. I mean, at least when I started working here in this, in this current job or this sort of wave of jobs I've had recently, um, that this was actually one that stood out to me right away, Mm -hmm. but that also, I just know that I think I used to think I had like normal tastes, right? and now I'm starting to realize almost the opposite. Like, well, if I'm into something, probably nobody else will be. Like, <laughs> right. I really like this thing, so probably most people will not is, like, almost a safer bet than I used to assume, like, oh, yeah, I I think I, you know, have generally pretty similar tastes, and then, yeah. like... And this is with, like, anything, music, anything. Like, almost always, like, the song, like, off of an album I love is, like, the one that later you'll hear people, like, oh, I always skip that track. Right. Really? I love that one. (laughs) 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 Like, I never understand why, like, the big hit single is the hit single. It's, like, it just goes over my head of, like, things that are sort of accessible. I think part of it, too, is, like, I also, I love things that are sort of slightly disruptive and like kind of mess with your expectations a lot and that can also like that's what people generally don't like right you know? and especially in art and music um things that give you a sense of unease yeah um, like <laughs> you know those things that people pass around on facebook all the time that are like if you're OCD this is gonna drive <laughs> right. you crazy right. yeah those images are
0: like my 10 best. things that only left-handers will understand <laughs>
1: yeah so so those images of like like a, a perfectly tiled floor where one of the tiles right is just yeah off, sure god I love them like yeah and and they just they, they make they're so satisfying to me right. to watch that thing just be like a little messed up oh like, yeah to me it's it's thrilling like oh yeah
0: yeah this painting's totally i mean it doesn't give you the definition that you might think initially you want out of looking at a landscape <laughs> right it just denies you all the clarity that yes. you might want when you went to the edge of a stream to yeah. to look out at the you know what's across the stream it doesn't give you any of that yeah it doesn't even give you a color range that will allow you to pick items out very well you know you
1: know it's you know what it's kind of like it's kind of like Terrace House. Um, well, uh, what isn't really? Yeah, but but, but but I'm totally doing this as a clear way of wrapping it up, but and also making sure I can get at least right, a little bit right. of that Terrace House stuff sure. in here. But uh, because, you know, when I first started watching uh terrace house i was so used to like american reality tv that i had this expectation of like yeah. a certain level of drama and a certain level of i don't know things happening right and in the first like few episodes you watch you're just like nothing is happening yeah people are like just sitting at a table barely talking to each other <laughs> right. and then by the end you kind of recalibrate <laughs> right. to like So when there is like little small dramas that normally would not even warrant screen time and like, you know, on an American reality show on the real world or something, which is its closest equivalent, you know, like this little minor drama is not worth our time, we would feel like but then when when you when that happens, you're just like so excited, right, because you're like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe that just happened, yeah, sure, and like yeah. a little glance becomes like the biggest thing, right, right, so it becomes really satisfying ultimately because of its sort of denial of what you expect sure. like, it becomes
0: more about subtlety and like yeah, yeah.
1: And, it, and it it it's it's it I think it's why people become like obsessed with it too, right, because it's it it's like anything like art, anything it asks more of the viewer, so you have like invested more of yourself in this thing, yeah, and so you feel like you've gotten so much more back from it, and I think that's how like a lot of this like art that's at first denies you something that you kind of well, want. because you feel like you've made
0: you you're part of the discovery then like right yeah. now I feel like I have more of a relationship with this painting because I, like the things that we've talked about feel like i discovered that you know yeah. i i have a part in the discovery of of what's going on in this painting yeah um so it definitely like uh it gives me sort of a greater i feel like i'm like i have a maybe a little bit more of a connection to it because i've i've invested that time right you know that i have that relationship with this painting now
1: well, and i found like uh, you know actually i was i've always been a person who kind of loves to like when I don't quite get something, I usually, actually, it makes me buckle down and want to, like, understand it even more. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember, actually, in college, having to write papers about pieces in the museum. Mm -hmm. And I remember I specifically chose uh, to write about the Frank Stella piece on the third floor because I don't like it or I didn't like it a lot. And through writing the paper, I ended up liking it a lot more. I came away being like, you know what? I actually, a lot of the things I... I think while it it probably is not my favorite thing, still I I definitely understood like where he was coming from and kind of got like okay, I get that all of this is the the things that maybe initially turn me off are entirely the point of the piece, you know, right. like this this is the point of it, you know. So I I do kind of feel like any time you spend a significant amount of time just analyzing something and really looking at it, you kind of come away like with a greater appreciation for it, even if it's something you initially did not like.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And those that times that that has happened to me, those often are my favorite, uh, instances of of looking at art you know the ones that i really remember and that stick with me and that i look back on you know are those times when i didn't really have any kind of appreciation for something but it kind of converted like having to interact with it sort of converted
1: me you know yeah yeah totally yeah yeah well thank you matt for joining us today
0: yeah absolutely this has been a lot of fun thanks
1: Thank you for listening to Art Palace. We hope you'll be inspired to come visit the Cincinnati Art Museum and have conversations about the art yourself. General admission to the museum is always free, and we also offer free parking. Special exhibitions on view right now are William Kintridge, More Sweetly Play the Dance, and Anila Kayum Aga, All the Flowers Are for Me. Opening September 8th is Anna England, Kinship. Join us on Saturday, September 9th at 1130 for the first Creativity and Growth Program. This collaboration with Indigo Hippo focuses on wellness, mindfulness, and self-improvement through calming gallery activities and art making. This free program is for all ages. And Sunday, September 10th is Grandparents Day, so why not bring them by at 3 o'clock for a special free gallery experience that will involve special performances of music and poetry. For program reservations and more information, visit CincinnatiArtMuseum.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat. We just started a Facebook group, so please join it if you are a fan. Our theme song is "O Fronde, Musical" by Bacalau, And as always, give us those five-star reviews on iTunes. I'm Russell Eyrig, and this has been Art Palace, produced by the Cincinnati Art Museum.